Hey, thanks again for uh, joining in. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org, hopeforvermont.org. And we believe people's stories matter because it's a testimony to how God is faithful. You don't have to be perfect, but as you are obedient, as you learn, God will certainly use you. A great friend, a good story as the one, the only A.J. Thomas. A.J., welcome in. Welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here, Jeff. And so uh, I was attending Bethany Bible College in Sussex, New Brunswick in 1993, the fall of 93. You were a student, I believe, at the Christian school right there in Sussex. That was the first time we met. But your dad was a pastor there at Sussex Wesleyan. Yep. When, when did your dad become pastor there? How old were you when he was a pastor at Sussex Wesleyan? Uh, we moved to Sussex when I was one. Uh, and so I uh, that's pretty much the only place I grew up. I'm kind of that rare pastor's kid who doesn't have the story of, you know, moving around all over the place and living in 30 different locations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We moved to Sussex and dad became the pastor of the church there when I was one and he stayed until I finished high school. And uh, yeah, so then I went from my childhood bedroom to my college dorm room, which was like (laughs) probably 400 feet uh, from one to the next. I grew up right there on uh, on campus. So, AJ, for yourself, not that you would remember, but uh, where was your dad before Sussex Wesleyan? Yep, he was at, uh, <laughs> at a church called Beals Island Wesleyan, which is on a little island called Beals Island, uh, <laughs> off the coast of Maine. And, uh, I mean, beautiful, quaint, picturesque little place. Uh, straight out of a, a Stephen King uh, novel. Uh, if you have any Stephen King fans watching, I'm pretty sure uh, Beals is, to some extent at least, the inspiration for Little Tall Island mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Stephen King universe. The the students, uh, well, the Little Tall Island is right across the reach from Jonesport, which is exactly where Beals Island is. And the students from Little Tall go to Jonesport Beals High School. So if it's not Beals, it's right around there somewhere. But yeah, that's that's where we were before that. Uh, I have memories of going back to visit when I was a uh, you know younger, but certainly no memories of you know year one. Although apparently I fell down the staircase in the parsonage. <laughs> Well, that might explain a lot, but we'll get to those stories later. AJ, did your parents were they Canadians, Americans? Uh, where did they meet? Yeah, that's a that's a that's always a complicated story too. So uh, my mother is an American. Uh, she born and raised in the great state of Maine, uh, but more northern Maine. Uh, Beals is more down east Maine, as they say. That's a Maine thing, right? I thought. You know, east was to one side or the other, but in Maine, it's down. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so they grew up, she grew up in a handful of little towns uh, in northern Maine, uh, kind of in the county, as it's often referred to, Aroostook County. Yeah. Uh, my dad grew up all over New Brunswick. Uh, the Thomas family is uh, historically from St. John, New Brunswick. Like that's kind of our ancestral home. And that's where dad was born. But his father worked. Uh, for the phone company and like kind of middle management. And so they wound up living in uh, St. John, Fredericton, Woodstock, Camelton, Edmonston, like all these different towns around New Brunswick. And so uh, my dad uh, got into a lot of trouble uh, in his many years of high school. Uh, I think it took him something like five or six years to do grades 10 and 11. Um, And so him and some of his buddies that he kept getting in trouble with, they said, look, let's uh, 
we need to we need to get our lives sorted out and the only two things they could think of that might help with that were bible college or the military and so they all decided they were going to go to bible college uh kind of coming into the the summer and by the end of the summer all of them had backed out but my dad but my dad was a, kind of a little bit stubborn he was like i said i'm going and i'm going uh wasn't a christian at the time didn't believe in jesus uh, was raised in kind of a, an Anglican home where there was a, I think a clear, but not necessarily a real strongly lived, uh, at least kind of in all the obvious ways, uh, faith, um, you know, went to church and that kind of thing. His parents did, but, uh, probably not the kind of place where there were nonstop conversations about Jesus around the dinner table or whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, dad went, uh, this was back when, uh, Bethany, uh, now Kingswood was in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Uh, before it had moved yeah. to Sussex. And so he went there for grade 12. They had chapel services every day. He like white knuckled his way through those chapel services until finally on, uh, I know the date, it was March the 4th of his uh, first year there, which I believe was his, mm -hmm. he was taking grade 12. They offered grade 12 at the time. Uh, he gave his life to Christ. And then he did the one year like Christian development kind of program uh, and then somewhere, uh, around there, mom decided she was going to come, uh, th and by this, uh, the school had moved to Sussex in that interim. And, uh, so yeah, so my, my dad attended, uh, Bethany in two different provinces <laughs> and he went for five years total, uh, grade 12 and graduated Christian development and graduated. And then at that time, like the degree or whatever they offered was a three year degree. And Christian development counted as the first year. So he went back for two more years and graduated. And then they got their, I don't know, their full accreditation or whatever and offered a fourth year. So he came back yeah. and did the fourth year and graduated again. So he went for five years and graduated four times. Um, but yeah, so they, they met uh, while dad was attending in Sussex and mom uh, was there as well, uh, attending Bethany. And uh, dad became the pastor of uh, Norton Wesleyan Church about halfway through yeah, his, yeah. his degree. Uh, they were they were meeting for church every other Sunday afternoon. That was the the, the gives you a picture of the state the church kind of was in. And uh, so then after Dad graduated, he stayed on there for another couple of years. Then off to Beals for five years, and then to Sussex for seventeen. So yeah, Mom and Dad met uh, in college. That's the long version of the story. And uh, my dad's uh, Canadian. My mom's American. I like that. And uh, Norton Wesley and every other Sunday, that sounds like us during COVID trying to figure out where to meet. Where to meet. <laughs> All of that. But AJ, you have an older brother, Luke. Luke was uh, attending uh, Bethany when I visited my junior year of high school. Yep. And we hit it off right away just with basketball and all of that. But you're kind of in between. Well, you are in between. I am in between you and your brother, age-wise. Yep. yep. So knowing that your brother was going to Kings or Bethany at the time, Kingswood now. Yep. Knowing that you grew up in a Christian home. When did you find out or feel called or led to go to Bethany or was that just a backup plan or the natural route or yeah. how much of a conversation was that for you? Uh, going to going to Bethany wasn't a real major thought process for me. Uh, once I kind of had a sense that I was called to ministry, um, you know, it just like, there's a place that I can study for that across the field kind of a thing, like two doors down, I'll just go there. Uh, and you know, the alternative uh, for the most part it, for Wesleyans would have been to head down to the state somewhere. And that didn't really 
appeal to me. Um, so yeah, so no, I, once I kind of came to terms or, or kind of got my head around the fact that I was called to ministry, uh, going to Kingswood was just the logical thing to do. Um, every, uh, my, yeah, there, there's a couple of kids in our family who technically are old enough to have gone to college. Neither of them have yet. Um, but otherwise, uh, like in the Thomas family, but otherwise every living member of the Thomas family has attended Kingswood, <laughs> uh, which is not a big family, but still. Right. Uh, so that's, I mean, it's just, yeah, that's just kind of made sense. Good school, reasonably affordable, already knew everybody there. Uh, <laughs> why not just go? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, even remember like so much as researching another school or looking into other opportunities. It just kind of was the logical progression. Yeah, nah, that's good. AJ Thomas, pastor at uh, deepwaterchurch.com. I'm going to try to bring up the slide now that you can uh, check them out. Deepwaterchurch.com. Um, if I can add that, there you go. And uh, this is in Halifax. So that's Nova Scotia, which if the listeners are unfamiliar with the provinces of Canada, there are I don't know. I thought there were seven. Is that right? Are there nine? Pro- Whatever. There's several provinces. <laughs> you, you grew up in New Brunswick, but now you find yourself in Nova Scotia. The Maritimes, is it pretty similar to New Brunswick? What are some of the differences? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are 10 provinces and three territories for those okay. who are geography nerds out there. <laughs> so, yeah, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia border on each other. Uh, they're basically just either side of the Bay of Fundy. There really aren't a lot of uh, significant differences culturally or politically or climate-wise or whatever. I mean, nothing major uh, between the two provinces. In fact, historically, they were actually one province at one point. Uh, I mean, this is like bajillions of years ago. But um, so, yeah, pretty pretty similar, ultimately. Uh the, the bigger difference would be between Halifax, the city where we're located, uh, and everywhere else. Uh, Atlantic Canada doesn't really have a lot of even moderately sized cities. Uh, St. John and Moncton are both like about 100,000 people. Um, those would be the next biggest. Uh, Halifax is just under half a million right now. Um, and so in the province of Nova Scotia, uh, 50% of the people who live in this province live in this city. Uh, so it's a, a province of roughly wow. a million people and about half a million of them live right here in this city. And so it's, it, it's got, a, I mean, again, that's not a huge city, but it's got an urbanness uh, that just nowhere else has uh, yeah. in Atlantic Canada. And that kind of lends it a different flavor. Um, and it was, uh, it was founded uh, primarily as a, a military uh, base and as a, a place for trade. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's founding is not so much people looking for a better life or people looking for religious freedom or people, uh, you know, looking to, to start over. It's like military and economic conquest. Hmm. And uh, so depending on how much you read into kind of the spiritual history of a place, uh, you know, there's definitely some baggage there. And uh, the first mayor of the city uh, was a, a brewmaster. Uh, and that uh, relationship with alcohol is still alive and well today in the city of Halifax. Uh, it's a lot of issues with alcohol uh, and drugs too. But alcohol, like, you know, where I grew up, 
by the time you're probably in your mid twenties, if you are going out and getting like hammered on a Saturday night, you know, that kind of stuck out. You were a bit of a, maybe yeah, had a bit yeah. of a drinking problem. Certainly by the time you're in your thirties or forties uh, and here, that's just really normal. Like married couples with great jobs will get a sitter on a, on a Saturday night, ask the babysitter to stay until about noon the next day, once they're kind of awake uh, and wow. maybe not, not hung over, but somewhat clear headed. And yeah, like you'll, they'll go out and, and just drink themselves silly at a bunch of bars and then go home and sleep it off and get out and pay the sitter and go on with their Sunday kind of a thing. So there's a, a, a pretty unhealthy relationship to alcohol here um, that's accepted at a high level in the culture. Um, you know, you can find alcoholism and alcohol abuse and all that anywhere. Like that's a universal human condition. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of accepted and even celebrated uh, in certain aspects of our culture here. Um, and far more uh, ethnically diverse than really anywhere else that I can think right. of in Atlantic Canada. Some of the other cities are, are uh, as immigration kind of ramps up, uh, are becoming more and more diverse, but uh, Halifax has a uh, historic uh, African Nova Scotian community. Um, you know, uh, people of color who've been here for hundreds of years. Hmm. Um, and, uh, also uh, older, uh, like more longstanding, but more recent immigrant, you know, sure. fourth and fifth generation immigrant, uh, descendants of immigrants, as opposed to, you know, whoever just arrived in the last few years, which is more what you'd see in some yeah. of the other cities around here. So yeah, it's, it's very different, but, but more because city versus not, uh, than Nova Scotia versus New Brunswick. Right. Uh, AJ Thomas, pastor at Deepwater Church, deepwaterchurch.com. You can find more information about AJ there. I just listened to a podcast with Mike McNeil. He was a professor of ours, friend of ours, I would say. Uh, open mic with uh, Mike McNeil. And uh, you just shared some of your story and where you've been. And I thought, man, I need to reach out to AJ. It's been a while. So yeah. uh, from Sussex, New Brunswick to Halifax, Nova Scotia, when you were at Bible college, did you know right away where you wanted to serve? Did opportunities come quick? But hmm. what happened? What was your journey right after Bible college? Yeah. Uh, so my experience, uh, you know, I've almost never wound up where I thought I would be. Uh, <laughs> my, my, uh, going into Bible college, my, my understanding of my calling at that time was, uh, to work with homeless youth. Uh, that's kind of where I thought I would land in the city of Toronto, most likely. And uh, so kind of started on that trajectory, began studying youth ministry at school, and, uh, and then kind of really developed just a passion for working with youth in general. Um, and so uh, coming out of Bible college, I didn't really know uh, where I was going to Go, what I was going to do for sure. I just started dating the woman who is now my wife of 20 years and uh, thought it would probably be a bad idea to go very far away. And so I actually stuck around and pumped gas for a year at a gas station while she finished. She still had a year left uh, at, at Bethany. And so, yeah, I did that for a year. And then uh, we... Uh, 
I don't know how to say this without like sounding like a dork or whatever, but like uh, <laughs> opportunities have never been an issue for me. There's always been someone who's yeah, willing yeah. to hire me. Right, right, right. Um, but we just could, didn't really know where we didn't have peace about any of the opportunities we were looking at as we got married. And then we had the opportunity uh, to, to go on like basically part-time pay, full-time work, no health insurance, <laughs> uh, role at a, a relatively young church in Bangor, Maine. It was about five years old and the founding pastor was leaving. Uh, and a new pastor, well, I say new, he was an old pastor, but new to that church, uh, yeah. was, was taken over. And, and uh, so I was recruited to come as his worship leader slash youth pastor, which, I mean, there was four or five kids in the whole church. They didn't necessarily <laughs> need a youth pastor. But, I mean, ultimately, I think more than anything else, I was the guy's security blanket. Uh, sure, sure, <laughs> he, sure. he, he'd never been in a situation like that before and was used to having a person or two on staff with him. Uh, so we agreed to go for a year. And uh, my wife uh, was doing a Christian school education degree, and there was a school there she could do her student teaching. And so kind of the idea was, well, we'll come. She'll do her student teaching. We'll see how the year goes, get through that transition, and then kind of reevaluate. So when we got to the end of that year, uh, it was just uh, clear that, uh, you know, if we were going to continue to pay the rent and, uh, you know, not go into debt for the rest of our lives, if we got pregnant, that kind of thing, right, right. Um, we, we, we either needed to move or God needed to like part the clouds and say like, this is where you have to be. Uh, and we were open to either of those, but, but it just didn't make sense to, you know, I, I, I'm, I believe that there are some decisions that are wisdom decisions and some decisions that are discernment decisions. Like God will yeah, ask you to yeah. do something stupid sometimes. Um, but barring a clear sense of him asking you to do something stupid, you should do something the wise thing. <laughs> and we just didn't have a clear sense that he was asking us to do what would have been, you know, humanly speaking, a pretty stupid thing to, to stay uh, in that situation. I mean, the church was fantastic, loved our work there, loved the people there, but just really financially was the big thing. And they were not anywhere as close to ever being able to, uh, to pay us like a typical full-time ish right. salary. So, uh, yeah, so we, uh, resigned my position there, uh, announced it to the congregation on Sunday. And on Monday morning, I got a call, uh, from, uh, Peter Moore, who was the pastor at Hillside Wesleyan, in Cole Harbor, which is an area of Halifax here. Yeah. And uh, he said, look, we're, we're looking to hire someone for, for youth and worship. And we'd love for it to be you. And there's some hoops to jump through. But, you know, basically, if you want the job, it's yours. And we just really felt like that's what we were supposed to do. So we came and uh, served there for five years. Had a great time. Loved every minute of it. Uh, towards the end of our time there, really started to feel... Uh, like God was just kind of preparing us for some sort of transition. Wasn't sure what that would look like. Uh, again, I loved what I did there, but the youth and worship grind can be kind of hard because you're only ever a couple of days away from your big thing. Like it's just a right, constant, right. oh man, it's almost Wednesday. Oh man, it's almost Sunday. Oh man, it's almost Wednesday. Oh man, it's almost Sunday. Like it's just this, you know, that, that weekly rhythm gets cut in half. And so I thought, maybe I'll go lead worship somewhere, but just worship. Or maybe I'll go do youth ministry somewhere, but just youth ministry. Or maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe we'll go to the mission field. Maybe, you know, like we looked yeah, at yeah. pretty much everything under the sun. And uh, during that time, God really opened my eyes uh, to some of the needs in our city. Um, 
And, you know, where, where I grew up, at least my perception was there were, there were basically two kinds of people, people who still went to church and people who didn't go to church anymore. And I started meeting these people who just literally never been. Like, right, right. Uh, I remember okay, there's this, this guy drove uh, the kid brother of a girl he liked to this rally uh, that we were all going to. And he came in and was hanging out and he's like, yeah, I've never been in a church before. I was like, oh, really? Like, you've never been to a church service before? He's like, no, like, I've just literally never been in a church before. Wow. And he, this guy's like 19 or 20, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not a funeral, not a wedding, like nothing. He's like, no, I've literally never been inside a building that belonged to a church before. He wound up giving his life to Jesus that night. It was mm. super beautiful. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just like, okay, this is, a, this is different, right? Uh, we had a situation. I remember one night in our youth group, I made this offhanded comment. Uh, about something being a real David and Goliath situation. Yeah. And this kid who'd been coming to our youth group for months and loved Jesus, had been baptized, she sticks her hands up. And uh, I'm like, yeah, what's up? She goes, are we supposed to know who that is? And it just occurred to me like, oh man, there's just this whole foundation thing, right? So, so kind of started wrestling with it. At that time, most of the models of church I was familiar with, uh, I mean, that were designed to, to reach people, to right. To, right grow the church we're really based uh, came up from the states and we're based on the premise that people sort of kind of wanted to go to church but it was too boring so they stopped uh and and so uh how do we make church more interesting was basically the premise and there's nothing wrong with church being interesting i'm a big fan of you know (laughs) church not being boring but but kind of going okay what about this there's this deeper issue, right? Of like, what about people who just don't presume scripture's true? What about people who don't even presume that if you're on some sort of quest for meaning or answering spiritual questions, that the church is a logical place to start? Like in, in the culture of this city, people are more likely to take up meditation than they are to, to go to church if they're trying to find some sort of spiritual meaning in their life. And, uh, and so that, that kind of those questions, what would it look like to do church in a way that made sense to people who had, really no meaningful church background uh that that question kind of led to some ideas and those ideas led to a bit of a vision and then that vision kind of coalesced with what god had been doing and in, in kind of preparing us for something else uh and we said oh what if we what if we tried to start this church and so that developed into a sense of calling and uh so i talked to our district superintendent talked to uh the lead pastor of our church talked to the district board talked to the church board they were all super on board and supportive for us to, to do this. And so uh, Hillside uh, very graciously allowed me to recruit kind of a, a launch team. Uh, and we all came downtown and started a church. That's pretty amazing. It's a good story. And a couple questions in that. At least they relate in my mind. Hopefully they connect for you as well. But when sure. you went... When you started at Bethany Bible College, now Kingswood University, our alma mater, um, your dad left Sussex Wesleyan. First question, was that weird, difficult? What was that like for you attending a Bible college, but then your safety net, your family was no longer next door? Yeah. Well, it certainly made my education more expensive because I couldn't live at home. (laughs) Uh, My brother had lived at home while he went and saved a bunch of money. I think ultimately it was, I mean, I I love my parents, get along great with my parents, have a fantastic relationship with my parents, but I wasn't one of these kids who was like, I want to live at home as long as I possibly can. And so I think on some level it was, I thought it was kind of cool because now I would get to go live in the dorm and have that Mm -hmm. experience. 
they only moved like an hour away. So it's not like uh, I never saw them. Although <laughs> my poor mother, uh, I first semester is coming to an end. And so I'm calling mom and dad to see, you know, when they might be able to pick me up to come home for Christmas. And I call and my mom, like she starts crying because uh, she'd missed me so bad. <laughs> but even worse, she, she goes, you know, you haven't called like all. And it's true. They dropped me off for school. I literally didn't call, didn't read, didn't email, didn't anything uh, until it was time to come home for Christmas. <laughs> but I think part of the reason for that was I didn't feel like I'd gone anywhere. You know right, what I mean? Like right, my walk, yeah. my walk to class uh in university was literally like walking up and down the hill there if you're familiar yeah. with the campus i walked that every day going to the bus stop uh in high school every day going to school uh, in junior high and, and elementary so uh, it really uh it 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 didn't feel like a transition and and as you'd mentioned right like i you know i would fart around campus when I was way too young. Right. Uh, you know, I was that annoying middle schooler and high schooler that would run around and act like I belonged there. And so I knew literally everybody. It's a small school, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. and, and so my freshman year, a lot of the other freshmen assumed I was an upperclassman just because I already knew all the other yeah, upperclassmen, right. right? They were like, you know, Jeff Fuller, you must have gone here a long time. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, it, it was kind of anticlimactic. Like it wasn't, Mom and dad moving wasn't a big deal because I didn't have to uproot and make new friends and all that kind of stuff. And going to university uh, wasn't a big deal because literally I lived right there, like in that on that campus for the last 12 years um, and in town for 17. Uh, and so, you know, that I, I probably in that 17 years, there wouldn't have been it would be a very rare week where I wasn't on campus at least once. And in my high school years, I would have been on campus probably four or five times a week. Like, uh, that's where I hung out. Those were my friends. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, wasn't a huge transition. I think it was harder on my parents. Sure. Sure. Uh, because, you know, they'd talk about, uh, you know, well, for, I, I believe it was after that. So I come home for my first Christmas and I'm trying to be cool and not break my mother's heart again. And then I accidentally say something about when I go back home, meaning back to school. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and because I mean, I'd never lived there. I'd never, you know, I uh, I spent maybe a week, I don't know, maybe a month in in sure. my parents moved to Fredericton in the summer. Like, uh, but I traveled for the school for a week right, that year. Right. I went to a bunch of camps. I did a bunch of other stuff. And so I like it didn't. It wasn't home. Like it was where my parents lived, uh, and it was homey. Like it was right, comfortable right. and all that. But it, but it just I didn't think. Oh yeah, go back home to that place. I've never actually lived. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think, uh, it was kind of hard on my parents, some, just the, the idea that like, oh, like our son doesn't think of our house as home anymore. Yeah. Um, but of course, why would I, I never lived there. Right. Um, and it did make, you know, people would like when Christmas break and March break and all that came, people were like, oh yeah, I'm going back home, see all my friends. And I was like, I'm just going to go home and twiddle my thumbs for a week until <laughs> I come back here where I know people. I remember I probably was a freshman, maybe a sophomore. I just interviewed uh, Terry Hart, now Terry Pike, and she's over in Taiwan. She wrote a book and great friend. I knew her a long time, but uh, she asked me off air after the interview. She's like, Jeff, when did you become thoughtful and not so rude? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Terry, we all grow up. We all grow up. But I 100%. think it was, 
either my freshman year, sophomore year, you were still in high school, but you were eating, I think it was tater tots with cheese on top and ketchup, I think. And uh, I was like, AJ, are you going to finish that? And you're like, no, do you want it? I was like, yeah, man, I am starving. And it's just so funny that anyway so i i i remember i i remember one day walking up to campus and i was eating a hot dog and and you uh, cajoled me into going back home and making you a hot dog and bringing it back up to campus for you hey yeah you're always a servant so thank you for that well uh, hey i i'm here to i'm here to please i i feel like that makes up for uh how in the dorm uh, in ingersoll lounge every night when everyone else was making Mr. Noodles and you were making rice and I would just laugh and laugh and you'd get so mad at me because I was such a racist. Hey. Um, but I just, it, it still to this day, when I think back to that, I just, I chuckle every time. And it wasn't being a racist. It was just, it was cheap and I could boil water. So that oh, I just, well, but so were Mr. Noodles. And I just love the fact that all these white guys are eating instant noodles and the one, literally the one Asian guy in yes. the whole school yes. goes straight for the rice. <laughs> I've I've long had this thing where, uh, I mean, not in like not things that are like dark and terrible stereotypes, but just yeah. anything that fits a stereotype like that. There's something in that, and it's probably one of the greatest challenges for me in trying to lead a multi-ethnic church. Uh, it is it just triggers a certain amount of joy for me. Yes, we had a, we have a, a lady a lady in our congregation. Uh, who is like of Chinese descent. She's not from China, but you know, her grandparents, I think immigrated. And uh, she would tell this story when one day we were sitting in a meeting and she's telling this story about Mormon missionaries coming to her door and they keep apologizing to her because they can't speak Chinese. And she doesn't speak Chinese either. I mean, she can <laughs> say hi to her grandparents or whatever, but I mean, she's not fluent or conversant or whatever. English is hundred percent her first language no accent or anything like that. Like there's no reason you would think she speaks Chinese unless you just assume everyone who looks Chinese speaks Chinese. Right. right. So they spend this whole time like trying to apologize to her. And she's like, no, I speak English. Like we can just talk in English. They're like, Oh, do you understand? She's like, yes, <laughs> listen to me. Like, I'm... and so she's just so frustrated, right? She's put up with this kind of foolishness her whole life. She's lived in Halifax her whole life. And, uh, and so finally she like, whatever they, they leave her alone. The next week, two different Mormon missionaries come back who can speak Chinese. Like these guys still somehow went back to the office and were like, we need someone who can speak Chinese to this lady. So they come and they're trying to speak Chinese to her. And she's like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't speak Chinese. And, and she's so frustrated by again, all this stare. And then they start lecturing her about how sad it is that she's lost her culture yeah. and her language. And she's like, I'm from here. You know what I mean? And so she's telling this story. She, it's funny. It's also, she's really frustrated. And I look down and I kid you not, while she's been telling this story in just rage, she has taken a, a gum wrapper and folded it into an origami swan. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's perfect. That's the most yes. perfect thing ever. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it cracks me up. Uh, yeah. And all those stories. I do remember the last story I want to share with you is you asked me because I tried to play basketball and you asked me to uh, be a referee for the Christian school tournament that was going on. And you told me it was like $15 a game. And I was like, yeah, four games. Yeah, this it'll work. And probably the IRS wants some tax money on that now. But um, I was like, sure. I was the absolute worst referee I think you ever could have had because all I'm thinking is 
$15. There's 20 minutes left in this game. Like, when can I leave? And so I probably owe you some money. I apologize. But wow. that, that, that was the school's money, not your money, I guess. But and, and that whole basketball on the level I played it was a waste on every level. <laughs> uh, so it really, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it was terrible. I remember, uh, jam. Do you remember him? Jam, jam. Oh, yeah. Patterson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he gave me a technical foul once for yelling at him from the bench, uh, when he was reffing. <laughs> so, Hey, you didn't give me a technical foul. So I'll, you know, I'll call that a win. I guess so. But, uh, getting back on track a little bit, AJ Thomas, pastor at Deepwater Church, deepwaterchurch.com. Uh, you went to a couple of churches before you kind of settled in, kind of like what your dad did, I suppose. But yep. your dad spent 17 years in one place. And there is a lot to be said about just uh, tenure and yes. making it through. Yep. For yourself, was that something that you always wanted to do? Did you feel like you, quote, failed early on? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, the first church we went to, we knew it was likely a short-term thing. Uh, and so that was, that was kind of as expected. Like that was more of a likely we'll be here for a year, but if something changes in the church's financial picture or whatever, then maybe we could stay longer. And then, uh, being at Hillside for, for five years, uh, was great. And I learned a lot, but also, I, I left because I felt God was calling me somewhere as opposed to I'd worn out my welcome or no one wanted me around yeah. anymore or whatever. Uh, the lead pastor, uh, after we rolled out this whole church plant thing that I was leaving to plant a church, then he decided, excuse me, he decided he was leaving uh, to, to pursue another ministry opportunity. And so I can't say, you know, with certainty that I would, would have stayed longer, you know, whoever the new guy might not have liked my face or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, there was no sense of like, I got to get out of here or whatever. And, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of times I'll say when we planted a church, it was, it was, again, it wasn't a massive transition. Like we didn't even have to move houses, let alone, right, right. you know, uproot our family or whatever. And the whole launch team, you know, like the whole core of the church in those early days were all the same people I'd been working with and serving with uh, for the last five years. And uh, yeah, and, and so it's, uh, I think longevity is great, but you got to do what God tells you to do and stay in step with him. I and uh, so, yeah, that, and when we were at Hillside, I thought I would have been there a lot longer than that, you know, until God was like, yeah, maybe not, you know? Right, right. And, uh, and then, I mean, this is kind of a fun little twist in the story. So, so we launched Deepwater and everything went great and everything was moving right along for the first seven years. Everything was fantastic. I figured I'd be here the rest of my life. In fact, there'd been some times in that first, probably between like year two and six uh, or three and six, where we kind of hit some, some walls and challenges and just it's exhausting planting a church where I would be like, so God, what do you say? I hand this over to someone and go do something else. And he'd be like, Nope, you're here for the long haul. You're here for the long haul. And then uh, coming into year seven, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he just kind of as an offhanded question said, how long are you going to stay there in Halifax? And the answer I gave him 
it was the same. Like people ask you that question all the time when you plant a church because uh, they're trying to figure out, are you a church planter, as in someone who plants a new church every four or five years, or are you just a guy right. who planted a church and now he's going to pastor it? And I'd always say the same thing. I'd always say, I'm here till God moves me. That was kind of always my answer, right? And uh, basically my way of saying, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm not saying God can't tell me what to do. Right. And uh, so this buddy of mine asked me that question, and I kind of gave him that answer, and there's just something about it that kind of caught in my, in my heart, in my spirit. And so I, I kind of just couldn't get away from that. And uh, that led to a, a discernment process where we felt like God was telling us it was time to go. And so resigned uh, from my position and wound up being invited to come back to that same church in Bangor that I'd pastored uh, on staff at, at that point, I don't know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, uh, to try to help that church get on a better footing. It was kind of in rough shape. And uh, so off we went to Bangor, moved our whole family, and we served uh, there for about a year trying to like do like a replant, relaunch. It didn't work, didn't go well. Um, kind of nothing bad happened either, just nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think the people had been trying just to keep the doors open for so long, they were just exhausted and didn't really have anything in the tank uh, to try to you know, double down and do something new or whatever. Um, it's a whole long story, but there's another Wesleyan church there that had been planted right about the same time. And, and uh, actually they launched a week uh, away from each other. That was some genius idea. Somebody in headquarters who'd never actually planted a church had. <laughs> and uh, what if we did this, you know, what if we split everything right down the middle? And so we had started just trying to build some better relationship between the two churches when I first got there. And, uh, wound up going, Hey, why don't we merge these? And, uh, it was this really beautiful thing, really smooth. Like it was, it was, God was just so clearly in it. Like there wasn't a single, uh, fight or scrap or scrape. And basically, uh, you know, one church had about half of what it took to be a solid church and the other half had the other half. Uh, and so, you know, right down to stuff, like one church had a great international missions program, but really had never been able to figure out how to serve locally compassionate ministry kind of stuff. The other church had like a soup or a, a food bank and like a homeless ministry and all this stuff had never actually supported a ministry, uh, missionary as a church even, right? Mm. And, uh, like we had just rebuilt the whole kids program uh, and had this really great program in place, but just did not have volunteers to actually run it. Uh, the, the other church had no real great ideas about like how to run a kid's program, but they had like eight or 10 people who really wanted to be a part of that. Right, and right. so it's just like, it's like a zipper, you know what I mean? Like it just yeah, yeah. fit together beautifully. And so, yeah, so we were there for two years and towards the end of that really discerned, like, uh, you know, we'd been in Halifax most of our adult lives. And so I was praying and wrestling and trying to figure out what was next. So we were there on a two year grant from the district. Again, it was another one of those. We knew that that was a short stop yeah, sure. before we went in and, uh, and really felt like God kind of reaffirmed to us that, you know, we, Halifax was not just the place we first landed, that Halifax was our calling. And uh, so we started thinking about ways we might be able to come back uh, to Halifax. What could we do? How could we get there? Like, and in that time, the fellow who had uh, been the, the lead pastor who'd taken over from me here at Deepwater uh, decided that the, the staff roles that he had been in for the first 
whatever, 15 years of his ministry yeah, were yeah. more his sweet spot and uh, that he was going to move back into that kind of staff role. And so the church is so weird. Like we went through a whole candidating process and all this, like, so we're, I'm here interviewing, uh, you know, we're doing like this congregational meeting and there's all these people who, uh, especially people who were new in the couple yeah, of years yeah. I've been gone, the 21 right. months that had actually been between my last Sunday and when I candidated. And uh, you got these people going like, no, this church is very much, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Do you plan to keep it that way? And it's one of those, like, I don't know. I, uh, if there's ever a moment that I, I thought maybe, maybe there's a chance I am entirely sanctified. It was that cause it's just everything you could do not to be like, I'm the one who made it that way. You know, like, who do you, why do you think it is yeah. that, you know, I really love this thing. Will you change that? Why would I change it? I spent seven years building it, you right, know? Right. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of a weird and surreal thing. And so back we came, uh, so uh, this, this week is actually the 14th birthday uh, of our church, but I've only been the pastor wow. of it for 12 uh, of those 14 and we're gone for two and not like went away on a missions trip, although we right, affectionately right. refer to our time in Bangor as our missions trip. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just left. And it was very much one of those, uh, you know, I, I kind of in the process, it, you know, didn't know what God was up to, but kind of looking back, it was very much one of those uh, Abraham with Isaac on the mountain things, sure. right? where God had kind of promised sure. us this church, you know, here's what I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you this thing and it's going to be a thing and it's going to help people. And it's, and so I, whoo, we went and planted it and had this beautiful, you know, bouncing baby girl is in the case of a church, churches are girls. And, uh, and th then God was like, okay, give it back. Uh, and I was like, but I love this. And like, people think it's cool that I planted this and I'm cool now because I'm a church planner and I'm like in a big city and I'm leading a fairly healthy growing church and I'm not hundred percent sure I want to go try to turn around a dying church. And, and, uh, and God said, no, give it to me. So we did. Wow. And uh, then after two years, he was like, all right, you've learned what you need to learn. You know, we've clarified that it's my church, not yours. And that your, your identity shouldn't be wrapped up in the fact that you're the lead pastor at Deepwater and now you can have it back and uh pretty 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 beautiful pretty powerful thing and one of those deals you couldn't like you couldn't script it you just stay in step with what god wants you to do and you'll wind up where he wants you to be all right so not that you're a prophet but perhaps it's prophetic 21 months you said you were away this pandemic's been going on just about that long how much can pastors learn from maybe they've thought that they built their church when god wants us to sacrifice it as abraham was willing to do with isaac mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's. I think the big danger is when you begin to find your sense of identity and value, and uh, purpose, even in how well your church is doing, uh, and when when you begin to uh, conflate the the statistics related to the work of God you're doing when when that begins to take the place in your heart that the fact that Jesus died for you should take like the you know and uh, I mean this has been so Nova Scotia has been one of the least affected areas in North America by COVID uh, in terms of case counts but that's because we've had some of the more strict restrictions sure 
So our, our church, I mean, we were, uh, give a little context. Uh, when I got back five-ish, five and change years ago, we, uh, we were a church of about 250, which is about what we'd been when I'd left two years earlier. In the next three years, we grew to about 600, like just a, a kind of crazy growth spurt. Uh, and things were just humming along. And then COVID hit. And we're in an, again, in, in the downtown core of our city. Real estate is hard to find. And if you can find it, it's hard to afford. Our building is incredibly undersized. Uh, and due to the restrictions and some of those different challenges and the need to do video well in order to reach, you know, right. people at home, we actually, uh, we wound up being online only for 16 months straight. Uh, and that just sucked all the momentum out of everything. I apologize uh, for my dog just in the background. Uh, my dog is barking at something. I have no idea what. Uh, my, but yeah, we, we were online for uh, 16 months as well. We had one in-person gathering during that time. Everything else was online, which was yeah. unique and, and different. But continue. Absolutely. So yeah, so yeah, it just it sucked. Out. Like we were, we were in the habit of having a lot of momentum. Uh, and that momentum has still not come back. Uh, it's very slowly, uh, you know, starting to kind of turn again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been another one of those moments of just going like, you can't, I cannot tie my sense of self-worth to how many people showed up on a Sunday and I can't, uh, I love to think about the future and I love to, uh, I'm a planner, like a strategic planner, though, not like a, uh, I have to have a thousand contingencies because I'm worried. I'm just more like, ooh, the possibilities, you know? <laughs> and and uh, one of the things I said early on in the pandemic, I said one of the hardest things for me in this whole thing has been grieving the loss of the future. Uh, not that there is no future, but you right, can't, right. you just, you know, from week to week, you don't know what's happening, right? And and so, yeah, I, I think, I think, uh as much as the pandemic has been discouraging and understandably so for a lot of pastors, and as much as it's, it's been, I think, a challenge uh, for a lot of churches and rightfully so. Um, and I think, you know, some areas here in Canada, but I, I uh, from my friends who pastor in the States, I see a lot, like there's been a whole lot of division uh, in response to this, you know, you're, everyone should be, you know, uh, vaxxed and if they don't want to be they should send guys out with like blow darts to force it on them <laughs> and then on the other end of the spectrum you know you've got the people who are like i stopped taking aspirin because it's made by the yeah. same company as you know like <laughs> all that craziness and you know people who would like to have a mask surgically attached to their face and people who think it, we should all lick each other as in defiance <laughs> of bill gates or whatever like just all that craziness uh i i think yeah i think this has been a, a sifting moment and I think if we want to lean into, uh, I don't, I don't think God causes evil, but I think he redeems it. And I don't think God causes suffering, but I think he redeems it. And I think one of the ways that God uh, wants to, and will redeem this pandemic season in the life of pastors, although there's going to be fatigue and even burnout and, right, and right. disappointment, I think there's also going to be a, a sifting of motives and a reminder of where our worth and our value comes from and a reassessment of uh, the importance of the depth of our work, not just the breadth. Uh, 
and and yeah, I, I I think there's potential for for it to be one of those uh, refining fires, which suck. Like, yeah. who wants yeah. to be in a fire? But being refined is good. So right. you kind of, yeah. 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 We want the outcome, but the process is uh, painful. Well, I was sharing the other day that how it seems as though people are either disappointed, discouraged, or depressed. The uh, the thought, though, is not to stay there too long. Um, AJ Thomas, Deeper Water Church, uh, deepwaterchurch.com, deepwaterchurch.com. Um, so you shared with your podcast with Mike McNeil, Open Mike, about emotional health, mental wellness. It was probably four, maybe three and a half years ago that I had some sort of panic attacks. They weren't overwhelming, but to me, they were overwhelming. I couldn't sit in the backseat of a car. I had to drive. We had to get a vehicle at the time with a moonroof or a sunroof. So I didn't feel oh, wow. so claustrophobic. It was just yeah. kind of kind of crazy, kind of weird. I feel like God really has healed me of that. Just taking some actual practical steps as well as just God's healing and my trust and faith in him and all of that. But at times over this last year and a half, I've had similar symptoms to when I was experiencing those panic attacks or whatever you want to call them. For you, what advice would you give to me of how God's revealed how he's continuing to redeem you, to make you righteous during these times that we can learn and apply, but also share with others that it's not just the hope of salvation, but it's that we get to share that hope of salvation with others to live here on yes. earth with, with the truth of Jesus. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say that, you know, again, on that subject of the way God brings uh, good out of bad, uh, mental illness is just terrible. I hate it. Uh, and there's nothing good in it yet at the same time, God can bring good out of it. And for me, one of the, one of the biggest, uh, aspects of that has, has been my ability to, uh, connect with and relate to other people who have struggles with mental health issues. A lot of times when people struggle with anxiety and depression and those types of things, uh, they, they may receive a lot of judgment, uh, but even more so they perceive a lot of judgment from other people mm. and yeah. they don't yeah. understand what's going on in their own head. So they are very sure no one else can understand what's going on in their own head. And, and mental illness tends to make you want to isolate yourself. Uh, like if you're depressed, you just don't have the motivation to connect with people. And if you're anxious, it's stressful to, you know, even just have a conversation with other people. And once people know that you get it, once people know that you've been there, their openness to talk to you is, uh, it just goes to a whole different place. And uh, so for me, part of how God's brought good out of this and part of the, the redemptive process of it and part of what's brought a certain amount of meaning to it for me uh, has been like, I frequently talk about uh, my struggles with mental health from the proverbial pulpit. We don't actually have a pulpit, but you know, uh, and in those kind of public forums like that, I am uh, in terms of spiritual gifts, I'm not very strong in shepherding. Uh, there's not a long list of people who just want to get together with me and talk about their problems. Like, uh, but I would say probably 85% of the conversations I have with people, like kind of pastoral care sort of conversations uh, are about mental health because they know that's a thing I get. And so 
you know, if they're having some other issue, there's probably some other pastor at our church that they'd rather talk to about it. But then like, actually, um, super depressed. AJ gets that. I'll go talk to him. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's been a really cool and, and beautiful way that, uh, God's used that. I, uh, I had the horrible privilege of preaching at the funeral uh, of a young guy connected to our church, 19 years old, who ended his life. And um, the credibility I had to speak to that, uh, because although I've never been, uh, I've never been suicidal, I've been like, I could see it from here. You know what I mean? Like I was talking to someone the other day and and they said, uh, I'm trying to remember how they, how they worded it. Uh, they were talking about like, I've never gotten to the place where I wanted to, but I have gotten to the place where it totally makes sense to me why people do, you know, like people always say, I can't understand why someone would do that. It's like, Oh, I can totally understand why someone would right. do that. Like I, right. you know, and, and frankly, uh, th- th- there've been times that what's kept me f- away from that is I just have too much of a to-do list. Like, <laughs> I got yeah. stuff to do. I can't die. Uh, <laughs> like it'd be great if a bus hit me or something, but I can't, hmm. I got a wife and kids and a church to lead and, I just, you know, I'll have to die later. Um, but yeah, but the, 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 to be able to speak to that issue and to be able to talk to the people, you know, also in that room who've had similar struggles and there's a, a credibility that comes with that. And there's a, a sense people feel seen and heard and understood. And when they come and talk to talk to you and, you know, like, this is the weirdest thing. And I don't know if you'll understand, but, and then you're like, totally hundred percent get it. Yeah, been there. Yeah. Like, yep. Uh, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I would prefer not to have the opportunity to do that kind of work. Uh, I, I would, you know, if, if I could get in a time machine and go back to before the first time I was diagnosed with depression, uh, and like wave a wand and just, uh, be happy for the rest of my life and less helpful to people, I would choose happy and less helpful. I'll be honest with you. But, uh, if, if I'm going to struggle with these things anyways, I'd love to see some good come out of it. Some redemptive stuff come out of it hmm. uh, that's so good and aj thomas uh deepwaterchurch.com we're going to let you go in a little bit thanks again for being so generous with your time and i know oh. it's an hour later for you being well in the maritime so atlantic time zone is that what it is it is i'm, I'm not real good with geography again saying there's seven provinces when you have 10 and a couple of territories or three territories, three territories. There, but for what it's uh, worth when you last lived in canada i think there were only two territories we added a third one a while ago Oh, it probably took over something. That's what Canadians are known for. Yeah, right? yeah, no. Oh, we, <laughs> we we split one in two, uh, one oh, of the territories. It was like everywhere up north, it's now two places instead of one. <laughs> AJ, as we let you go, you mentioned early on that you felt called to the lost, those that were not uh, mad at church, but to those that had no idea what church was. As you've been a part of Deepwater, now for 12 of the 14 years is that still a mission of yours how do you balance that mission with a church that is relatively established yeah uh that's a great question i have this uh how to explain this well so a lot of people uh think of evangelism and discipleship as separate things right right and then the, the next step after that, as you come to understand it more clearly, is no, it's a continuum, right? Like evangelism is just the front end of discipleship. And I think absolutely, like you can look at scripture and go, 
Jesus had started discipling his disciples before they were ever evangelized. Like right, right. those, they were his disciples before they were Christians, right? Yes. Before they understood uh, who he was and turned from their sin and accepted his lordship in their life and all that kind of thing. But then there's a, another, another level that goes to, I think, where we come to understand that we cannot, not only can we not be disciples if we haven't been evangelized, but we cannot be disciples if we are not evangelizing. Uh, that that it's in being on mission uh, yes. that we grow. And so, for me, if if we at any point stop focusing on reaching the lost in order to grow the saints, we'll no longer be reaching the lost, but we'll also no longer be growing the saints. Right. Right. Uh, we're called to follow Jesus, and Jesus is on a mission. And if we're not on that mission with Him, we're not following Him. Uh, if we want to be close to Jesus, we've got to be going, right? Like uh, if you sit with the, the 99, then you're not going to be with Jesus for very long because he's going to go find the one. Right. Uh, and so there are certainly uh, what it looks like to, to do that and to, to kind of balance all those things gets a little more complex. Um, but you know, I, I think that uh, genuinely, I think that that the majority of people who attend our church could uh, could tell you what our mission statement is, and they could tell you it not just because I say it all the time, but because it's actually what we do, and we don't just say it, you know, uh, as like a hey, let's all quote this together. But right. like when I'm explaining why we're doing something, it's because we exist to help people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, the reason we canceled that is because we're about helping people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason we're starting this is because we're about helping people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we're, uh, hopefully not in the middle, but still very much in the pandemic here. Right. And we're in the process of, of hiring the planters who will launch our next location. We have two locations and we're getting ready to launch a third, uh, why would you do that? Well, if your job is to be safe and secure and all that, then no, we should hunker down and ride this thing out. But we are here to help people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, we're just going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep pushing forward with that mission. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, if you if you can't balance discipleship and evangelism in whatever sense that looks like in the context of what I just said, uh, then you're actually better off to focus on evangelism because if you focus on evangelism, you might accidentally get discipleship. If you focus on discipleship, you will not accidentally get evangelism. Right. And as much as I believe in maturity and growth and holiness, uh, and sanctification, I, I definitely believe in glorification. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if we can get people connected to Jesus and they live the next, you know, whatever month of life or 40 years of life they have left as a shallow believer, but who has a saving faith in Jesus, they're still a lot further ahead. Uh, like Jesus will get them sorted out the rest of the way when they get to heaven. Then having, you know, Jesus, this is me and my three super mature Christians. Uh, that's been my life's work. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I think about those things and approach those things. But it is, you have to keep banging that drum. You have to keep pushing people towards yeah. it. And, and again, like we, I frame, when we talk about uh, discipleship here, I frame it in the context of mission. Like the reason you need to become more like Jesus is so you'll be right. more effective on his mission, right? Uh, if the goal was, was for you to be more like Jesus, just for the sake of you being more like Jesus, 
then the most logical thing would be for us to do some sort of like suicide pact as soon as everyone comes to Jesus, right? Like get out of here before yeah. you have a chance to, <laughs> to, you know, before you lose your first love, lose your life, you know, some right, crazy right. thing like that. But it's like, no, the reason that, that God leaves us here and wants to grow us and mature us here is so that we can be uh, of service. We can be of benefit. We can be of help. We can share the good news with other people. And so your discipleship here on earth is for the purpose of making you more effective in the mission, uh, as opposed to just, you know, well, you got to live anyway. Let's get you a little closer to Jesus so that when you get to heaven, there's slightly less zapping he has to do or whatever. I agree. That's well said. And uh, something that we're trying to accomplish here in Vermont as well. Last question I have for you is kind of a personal question, but sure. as you mentioned, you have two college age kids as well. So uh, first of all, I got to uh, bang the drum and let everybody that knew me back when I was a student at Bible college, that I am married, have been married for 20 years that most people think that's a miracle or I'm lying. So uh, that happened. And my son is 19 he is in Michigan, where my wife is from, living with uh, her family, working. He decided not to go to school just because he's working. He is relatively er, involved in a relatively uh, big church, large church, whatever that means, but good yep. um, Bible church. So my question is, with our children, and when they're young, it is good, but it is tiring. But now when they are out of our house or they're making their own decisions, I pray that Christians will respond to God's prompting to encourage my son, to evangelize or disciple my son. He is a believer, but just as you were mentioning, to go deeper in that uh, thought that he can be used of God to reach others because of God's grace through faith. Yeah. How would you advise Christians that interact with your children but that your children do not yet know they're Christians. Maybe it's a store clerk. Maybe it's a, I don't know, postal worker. What would you tell that person that is a believer about the effect they could have on your children if they would just live out their faith in a more bold way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I got kids all across the spectrum. I have three, uh, three kids, and I've got uh, one that's very much in a prodigal season right now. And I've got, uh, one that, uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home, which is a weird thing to say, but we adopted him as a teenager. And so he's, you know, very much kind of not sure what any of this is all about yet. Uh, what he thinks of it, that kind of a thing. And then we have one who loves Jesus and serves in church and in youth ministry and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so we kind of got the, the gamut there. Uh, I think, I think finding ways uh, to connect with people on on the things that matter most in life uh, has the potential to be really uh, impactful. What I mean by that is uh, our world is, uh, and I don't think this is anything new. It looks different now than it did fifty years ago, but our world is programmed for shallowness. Yeah. Um, you know, whether, whether you're thinking about, uh, talking about the weather on the, you know, kind of the, whatever at the, at the corner store back in the fifties, or whether you're talking about the stuff people post on social media, uh, it's all pretty shallow stuff. And even the stuff that, uh, on social media that points towards deeper stuff, like people talking about their mental health or whatever else it's, there's a certain 
it's a certain amount of like doing it for attention kind of a thing as opposed to actually trying to meaningfully explore it. And I don't just mean, you know, uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's, you know, you're displaying it to get likes generally. So I think just finding ways to have conversations about purpose and meaning and uh, speaking into uh, a kid's value and, uh, you know, maybe this is some of just my temperament coming through here, but I just, I love skipping over that shallow stuff and getting to the real stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think at least some, some kids, uh, I say again, uh, if we're talking about people, I'm old enough to be their dad, then I'm calling them kids, <laughs> uh, young adults. Uh, I think, I think just somebody who's, who's willing to go there with them. Uh, or, and again, so if you're talking, like if you're the, the cashier at the store, uh, you know, it might be a little awkward to uh, first time you meet someone be like, what do you think of the great mysteries of life? <laughs> but, but even just to ask them like, you know, so like our, you know, some of those kind of small talky things we often discuss like, Hey, so are you, uh, you know, you going to school, you working, you know, and, yeah, yeah. but that can pretty easily parlay into a conversation about how do you make those decisions? How do you decide what you're doing with your life? You know, and even just like, so how did, how did you decide? Like if I was talking to your, uh, your son, I'm like, so how did you decide not to go to school? Like what, uh, that's, you know, that's a kind of a bold decision, uh, in our world. Like that's kind of the expectation. I think that's kind of neat that you had the courage to, to consider doing something. Like, what do you think in there? Like, what's, where's that come from? What's your motivation and all that? And just kind of taking that sort of an interest and expressing value. Um, I do, I do think, uh, that social media has kind of, uh, has has trained our all of us. I mean, I'm influenced by it too, let alone my kids. But it's trained us to look for for to to go for the likes to as opposed to right, to go right. go for depth. And uh, I have this uh, I don't know I, I have this this theory that on the one hand I think church needs to be in the culture, engaging with the culture. But on the other hand, I think we need to be the antithesis of it we need to be the thing that when you get you know when you get tired of the the shallow stuff there's a deep place to go when you get tired of the virtual there's a actual face-to-face place to go um when you get uh tired of the having to put your best foot forward there's a place where you can go and put your worst foot forward um and i think uh i think with people in general but particularly uh, with kids who maybe grew up in and around church uh, but either aren't following Jesus right now or are still kind of early enough on in their relationship with him um, that they, uh, you know, they need some real proactive kind of people speaking and investing into their lives. I think just, yeah, like taking an interest and skipping the shallow stuff or going through the shallow stuff quick and getting to those deeper questions yeah. and speaking to uh, how to word this. There's a difference between speaking to someone's value and speaking to their ego. Hmm. And I think, I think our culture has a, a, whether you're talking about the whole snowflake thing or you're talking about social media likes or whatever else, there's a lot of speaking to people's ego, but not a lot of speaking to their value. And I, and I think finding ways to speak to their value. And I think too, uh, there is a, I think for a lot of younger people, especially once they're kind of hitting those, late teens, early twenties, 
there can be a, a, a desire for relationship on some level with people who are further along in life. Like mm-hmm. once you take those first three or four good hits in your early <laughs> adulthood, and then you're like, oh, I'm stupid. I need some people who've been around the block a few times to speak into my life. Um, And sometimes it can be hard for that. Even if you have a great relationship with your kids, sometimes they're, you know, uh, and I think sometimes it's more in their head than reality, but there's this like, if I tell mom and dad, I can't figure this out, then they're going to think I'm dumb or they're going to think whatever. And, and, uh, and so I don't want to come to them, but if, you know, if the, the guy who's fixing this crappy beater car of mine uh, you know, if he's got a little wisdom, a little advice for me, if he's, if he, you know, if I get the sense that I could actually ask him a question, yeah. there might be an opportunity to build some relationship there. Discipleship is all about relationships, right? It's all in relationships. So if you build a relationship and you love Jesus, the rest of it will eventually come up. It just, it can't not. And I think that's a template for evangelism you were speaking of before, of just asking questions regarding people's value and knowing, uh, it's more about asking questions than it is giving information because <laughs> whatever reason we just balk it. Oh, you just want me to whatever. And uh, so good. AJ Thomas, pastor at deepwaterchurch.com, deepwaterchurch.com. AJ, um, I've always respected it. Yeah. I consider you a friend and I am just so honored um, just to hear and see and know uh, that God continues to work in your life. Um, I'm looking down cause I'm trying to fix my, computer as i'm giving you a compliment but <clears throat> no it's it's so true and we mentioned off air just the amount of friends that we went to bible college with that we know that profess jesus that are no longer either in vocational ministry or are no longer serving yeah. jesus it's just been um refreshing to hear your story and see god move in your life so thank you for being obedient and uh, thank you for being faithful thanks um, man and the last thing, not the last question, because I already told you my last question, the last request, would you be so kind to pray for us here in Vermont as we yeah. continue to reach the lost and disciple the saints and go after Jesus in, yeah. in these uncertain times? Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this chance that we've had to hang out and catch up and talk about life and talk about faith and talk about ministry. And uh, God, I want to pray uh, for my brother, Jeff. And I ask that you would uh, continue to work in and through him there in Vermont. And uh, God, I, uh, I don't know Vermont well, but I've spent a little time there. And I know every ministry context is unique. And uh, so, God, I pray that you would uh, be with him and with his church as they figure out what it looks like to advance the kingdom there in Vermont, what it looks like to... Uh, lead people into a relationship with you there in Vermont and lead them deeper and deeper in that relationship with you. And uh, God, as they continue to navigate pandemic stuff, and as we talked about uh, how long they had to be online only as well, and and as people re-engage, God, I just pray that uh, that this time uh, where, where church as normal has been interrupted uh, would serve to create a deeper and deeper hunger in people for people who know you and are close to you, that there'd be a deeper and deeper hunger to, to get back uh, into face-to-face relationship with people, a deeper hunger to get out and serve their communities. And for people who are far from you, God, I pray that maybe this would be something that's caused them to think a little bit about their mortality or something that's 
caused them to answer some of those big questions, something that's caused them to wrestle uh, with what it looks like to be part of a community meaningfully in their life. And, and God, that those questions they're wrestling with would open up the doors to, to conversations and invitations that will ultimately lead people closer to you. Uh, bless this church and bless this pastor as they carry out your work there in the state of Vermont, I pray. Amen. Amen. AJ, hey, thanks so much, and uh, we'll catch up again. Absolutely. It's been good fun. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. And again, that's AJ Thomas and uh, deepwaterchurch.com, deepwaterchurch.com. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church. You can find all the information screening below or at hopeforvermont.org. Thanks, everybody.